They all have different job titles, if I can say it that way, different uh, gifts and talents, different offices that we are to fulfill. And they're all important. Every single one of them are important. Otherwise, God wouldn't have them here with us. Everyone is equally important, so everyone gets the same amount of pay. No matter when you were called, no matter what time you answered the call. Uh, and that is sometimes difficult for people to, to grasp. Another thing we saw is that if you're doing nothing for God, if you're just standing around the marketplace waiting to be hired, well, that's on you, friend. Uh, Jesus is hiring. Amen. He's hiring laborers for His field. He wants people to go out and to work for Him, building His kingdom. Amen. And if you're willing, God will use you mightily in that very thing. John 4.35 says, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, Lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. The Bible teaches us that the harvest is ready. The harvest has been ready. What God is waiting for is laborers. Laborers to go out into the field and to begin to bring in that harvest. Amen. Our daily devotions. Working for someone here on earth, we would expect to get more pay for more hours. But in God's economy, the pay is the same. The compensation is the same. The gift of eternal life with Jesus Christ. There are no differing tiers or wages. Uh, there is no levels of merit, hierarchy, or seniority. I've been living for God for 40 years. Before I was called home, you only lived 20 years. So I get the bigger mansion. It doesn't work like that. We all get the same. Sometime after Jesus taught this, the mother of James and John approached Jesus asking for her sons to be appointed to senior positions in God's kingdom. Jesus had to remind them all again that it's the world that fights over seniority and position. Christians are called to simply and to humbly serve. Amen. Day one. It can be tempting to look down on the new people at work because they haven't paid their dues yet. The longer you've been at a job, the more seniority you, you uh, accumulate at a job, the easier it is to forget that you were once the new guy too. And uh, the, old, uh, the old people there at work that have been there for 20, 30 years, uh, they see the new guys coming in and, man, if I made that much money when I started, I'd be doing pretty good right now. They haven't paid their dues yet. They haven't put in any time yet. And if we're not careful, we can start looking at new converts that way. I've, I've had to endure all of these things serving Jesus Christ. I've had to sacrifice all this stuff serving the Lord. They haven't done anything. And look at how God's blessing them. It just came in a week ago. It just came in a month ago. Yeah. Let them live a while. They'll get there. We've borne the heat and burden of the day. They slunk in after all the hard work was done. You don't know that. And even if it's true, we don't earn our salvation. There's nothing we can do or not do that will diminish what God desires to give us. 
Salvation is a free gift. It's accepted by faith. Obedient faith, but faith nonetheless. Having said that, there are many benefits to serving God early in life versus waiting till the very end. The pay is the same. Salvation is the same for all people. But, the longer you live for God, the more bennies you do receive. Your life is blessed, folks, serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, there are things that we go through because we serve the Lord Jesus Christ, but there are many more things that we will never experience because we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm never going to get stabbed in a bar fight. Because I'm never going to be in a bar. That's just something I don't have to worry about. I'm not going to get into an accident because I'm driving drunk. Someone else may run into me driving drunk. But I'm not going to have to worry about that. My finances are blessed. All of my possessions are blessed. God rebukes the devourer because of my obedience to His Word. I get to grow to know God and to become more like Him. I get to be used of God. All of these benefits that I receive from serving the Lord Jesus Christ, people who don't serve the Lord Jesus Christ do not get to enjoy They come in at the end of their life, deathbed conversion. Yeah, they get to experience salvation. But look at the train wreck of their life. It didn't have to be like that. Day two. I quote this directly from the the devotional. To paint this parable in a different way, picture being a lawyer or a doctor putting in long hours working in intense conditions to earn a paycheck. Now imagine toward the end of your drawn-out trial or taxing surgery, a teen who has never worked a day in his life comes on the scene. He works for an hour doing some paperwork and is given payment for the exact amount you got. Doesn't seem fair, right? You did the tougher job, so in theory you deserve the greater compensation. Again, it seems unreasonable to us that the rewards would be the same for all Christians no matter what they've been through, no matter what they've been called to sacrifice. But God is just in doing so. Because the reward isn't based on what you have done. It's based on what Jesus did. And that remains the same for everyone. Salvation is a free gift. Day three, it doesn't matter how you start the race as much as it matters how you finish it. Amen to that. The reward doesn't come for running a race. It comes for finishing the race, right? If I don't cross the finish line... All those miles I put in doesn't matter one bit. Wherever you find yourself is a great place to start living for God. If you've fallen, get back up. If you've taken up weights and sins that are weighing you down, let them go. Give them to Jesus and continue the race unburdened by them. Simple, right? doesn't always seem so simple when you try to do it. But it really is that simple doesn't seem like it, but it is. Just give them to Jesus. Jesus wants to carry them for you. You don't have to. You were never supposed to. Day four. Some of the workers in in the parable received more than they deserved. But no one received less than they deserved. 
There will be no gated communities in heaven for those who gave the most to missions. thought that was interesting. Although, continue to give to missions. Amen. Everyone will stand equally before Jesus, rejoicing in the salvation that He gave to each of us. Day five, whatever the path you took to get to Jesus and however long it takes you, it doesn't matter as long as you end up finding Him. As long as you serve the Lord Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the path. It doesn't matter the sacrifice or the cost it took you to get there. Some people, they grew up in this. It wasn't much cost at all. Just had to do what mom and dad said. Other people, there, there was a great cost, a great sacrifice to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. But in any case, all that matters is that we end up serving the Lord Jesus Christ. We end up submitting ourselves to Him. That's it. Our message today, our scripture text, will be found in Matthew chapter 22. We'll start reading at verse 1. This is the parable of the banquet. The parable of the banquet. Matthew 22 and verse 1 states this, Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son, and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Again he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it, and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants, and entreated them spitefully, and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and sent forth his armies, and destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways, and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither, not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to his servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Amen. So in this parable, we see that there was an original invitation. The king was celebrating a wedding feast. A wedding feast needs to be populated with guests. That was the custom of the day. Uh, and so he sent invitations to all his subjects. What an honor it would have been. To receive an invitation from the king to come to his wedding feast, to eat at his table, to sit with the king and his family. That would have been a great honor. I found an article by a man named Steve Rudd. It talked about the three-stage ritual of Bible marriages. I've, I've long been interested in this. Uh, did you know that our wedding ceremony today is unscriptural? It is unbiblical. Is it wrong? I wouldn't say it's wrong, necessarily. But it's definitely not biblical. It is a tradition. It is a tradition. 
If we wanted to do things scripturally, if we wanted to do things biblically, this is how we would have done it. The three C's of Bible weddings are contract, consummation, celebration. All right. Ancient Jewish weddings never involved a wedding ceremony like we see today with the bride walking down the aisle to be married in the synagogue. Likewise, we don't see anything like a typical Christian marriage today. The wedding ceremony, quote, is something that did not develop for hundreds of years after Jesus rose from the dead. Modern Jewish weddings are as removed and different from the ancient Jewish marriage culture of the first century as Christian weddings are. Amen. Very little of what we do today in in a Christian wedding is found in Scripture. Stage one. And I'm going to get these Hebrew words pronounced wrong, so just throwing that out there. Stage one is signing the ketubah contract. You're creating the marriage bond. This is where the groom and the father of the bride would negotiate and sign a legal contract called a ketubah. Ketubah? Uh, That. Once this is signed, the couple is considered 100% married. Young children were often married as an arranged marriage, but would not consummate until they became of age. Stage two was the chupa, or consummation. Up to seven years later, while the groom, uh, during that time, the groom is raising money. Once the groom is able to raise the money, as set out in the ketubah contract, he notifies the father of the bride, who then sets a date to consummate the marriage at the bride's home. The bride waits with her maidens for the arrival of the groom and his companions. Some of this sounds familiar, doesn't it? The couple enters the chupa room and consummates the marriage while the companions of the bride and groom wait and celebrate outside or in the next room. Doesn't that seem a little weird? It does to us today. That was the custom back then. Afterward, the groom hands the bloodied proof of virginity cloth to the witnesses chosen by the bride's parents, who then give it to the bride for safekeeping. Stage three is the wedding feast. After consummation, the entire wedding party walks to the house of the groom in a procession for a wedding feast. At the conclusion of the wedding feast, the couple has completed the ancient ritual of marriage. We see this ancient ritual uh, in part or in whole from the time of Abraham all the way down to the first century church. Amen. That is a biblical marriage, if you want to get biblical. So it was customary for a king to prepare a great feast for his son's wedding. A lot of friends and family would have been on the guest list. I can imagine that because it was the king, a lot of people would want to be in attendance. I would want to be in attendance. I can imagine the food would be pretty good. In preparation, he would have been preparing food for a great number of guests. As the king, I expect that he would have expected a lot of visitors, a lot of guests to attend the wedding feast. But as the king sent his servants to the honored guests to let them know the food was prepared and the festivities would soon begin, the servants came back and reported that all the guests had declined the king's invitation. Now that stuns me. That, that just stupefies me. I, I have to wonder in this parable, I understand what the parable is alluding to, but just the... the 
the, the account in and of itself. What must have been the opinion of the servants of the king? How must the servant, how must, how must the, the population have thought of this king? Well, the king tried again. Sent his servants to plead with them to come. The king had cooked his best meal. The banquet table was set impeccably. Please, come. Everything is made perfect. Most of the invited guests ignored the king's servants and walked away. Too busy, too preoccupied, got other things going on. Just no time. Some, however, seized the servants, beat them, and killed them. Most of us have heard the expression, voluntold. Parents use it a lot. They'll ask their kids politely, Sweetie, could you please take out the garbage for me? And before too long, the child begins to understand, that sounded like a question, but that was a command. That really wasn't a question. Could you please take out the garbage that's in order? Parents ask us a question real nice. They're expecting that we do it. The king asks you to come to a wedding banquet. He's expecting you to come. Now again, I understand that in our so-called democratic society today, Again, I hate the word democracy. Uh, it was never supposed to be a democracy. In any case, uh, absolutely. A constitutionally federated republic. But in any case, uh, that's what we have now. We don't understand what it's like to live under a monarchy. A despot, if you will. Someone who has unlimited power and authority. The executive, judicial, and legislative branches all rolled up into one person. Can you imagine the power that that one person would have? All of it. He is quite literally above the law. He is the law. We don't understand what it's like to live in that kind of a government. But these guys did. So when Jesus told this story, they understood what was going on here. If you, I mean, <laughs> I don't know what they expected the reaction to be. You ignore a request of the sovereign. How is he supposed to react? What is he supposed to do? We saw in the book of Esther when King Ahasuerus' wife, the queen, ignored a command. We saw what happened to her, right? Why? Because the authority of the king was at stake. And through that, the authority of all men. We can't have that. An example needs to be set. And he set the example. The king issued an edict. Come to the wedding banquet. And no one came. They all ignored it. The king made extravagant preparation for this wedding feast. Spent an enormous amount of money. And no one could be bothered to even show up. 
Those who have continued to ignore God's call will one day live to regret it. And that for all eternity. Now please understand, I love preaching mercy. I love preaching grace. I love preaching love. That's, that's who God is. He's all of those things. But, He is also a God of justice. He is also a God of judgment. And one day His mercy will run out. One day His compassion will cease. Amen. It will not last forever. One day we will stand before His judgment seat and be judged by the One who would have saved us. If we do not accept God's judgment being poured out on Christ at Calvary, if we do not accept that as payment for our sins, we will pay for them ourselves. And that for all eternity. There will be a judgment day for all those who have received the invitation of Jesus but have refused Him. God's creation, ladies and gentlemen, is a monarchy. It's not a democracy. It's not a constitutionally federated republic. There are no votes. There are no ballots being cast. God is in charge. He is the one that rules. Period. I don't care if you don't like that. I don't care if you don't believe that. It's still true. And you will find out that it's true one day. I pray. I pray that if you haven't discovered that by now, you discover it today. That Jesus Christ rules. He rules His entire creation. He has all power. He has all authority. There is no one higher than Him. There is no one greater than He. And when He issues an edict, when He delivers a command, it is expected that we will obey. Now, I don't know how that makes you feel. But it doesn't matter how it makes you feel. It doesn't matter how it makes me feel. I have all kinds of feelings about paying taxes. And you probably do too. But guess what? I still pay taxes. They don't care how I feel about it. They just want to know, did you pay it or didn't you? Every law is the same way. God's laws are the same way. You can choose to love it. You can choose to hate it. You just need to do it. Because if you don't do it, if you don't submit yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you don't give your life over to Him, if you don't accept His sacrifice at Calvary, you will do it yourself. Those are your two options. That's all you get. There's no third option, folks. Jesus saves you or you try it yourself. I can't save you. Your parents can't save you. Your children can't save you. Jesus can. And for the time that the door to the ark is still open, get in. Get in. Get in the church. Receive salvation from Jesus Christ. The King has extended to us an invitation. Accept it. Accept it. We ought to graciously accept every invitation our King extends to us. Have you ever stopped to consider just how lopsided our relationship with God truly is? Have you ever thought about that? I think about it sometimes a lot. How one-sided and lopsided and ridiculous this relationship is from the outside looking in. When He found me, 
the disparity between him and me was infinite. In many ways, it still is. I'll explain that in a moment. But when he found me, and it was one end of the spectrum to the other, infinite disparity. He's the king of glory. And I was a broken, very small part of his vast creation. He is literally perfect. And I'm anything but. He has everything. He possesses everything. And I was wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Even though all of that was true, He loved me enough to hang on a cross and die for me. And I was considering the possibility of serving Him. That's all I could muster. He did all the work. He continues to do all the work in this relationship. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. If you want to do something for God, it's because God put that in you. If you can do something for God, it's because God gave those gifts and talents to you. So what do I bring to this? Not a whole lot. Not much at all. I bring a willing vessel. I bring someone who can make themselves available to be used by Him. You desire God? You want more of Him? That's because God caused you to receive His love first. We love Him only because He loved us first. So understanding these things, meditating on these things, helps me when I start thinking and start feeling sorry for myself. Look at all I've given up to serve You, God. Look at all I've sacrificed. People that dwell like that, people that that stay in a place like that, they don't know who the God I serve is. They don't know what He's done. They can't. They can't possibly know what He's done. Or who He is. They can't possibly know what He's doing presently. What He's going to do every day into the future. For you. For me. There's no sacrifice living for Jesus. There's no cost in serving God. I gotta wear this. I can't wear that. I gotta do this. I can't go there. You know who that sounds like? That's not God. That's the world talking to you there. The world is telling you what you have to wear. I've been told that my daughters have a target placed on their back. Who places that on their back? The church? Christians? No! The world did that. The world tells you women, you have to cut your hair. You can't go out of the house unless you slap a bunch of makeup on your face. 
You wear a skirt all the time. Why are you doing that? Why don't you wear pants? Oh, I could never do that. Pants are more comfortable. And they're, they're spray painted on them. The world is telling you what you have to do and where you have to go. Oh, you don't drink? Oh, you're crazy. This congregation here will never say anything like that. We'll love you. We'll accept you just the way you are. Amen. We'll pray that God moves you forward in Him. But, The world is the one that's dogmatic about these things, folks. The world is the one that wants you to conform to its image. A second invitation was given because those that were bidden were unworthy. Why were they unworthy? They were indifferent to the things of God. They couldn't have cared less. They had other things going on. They were unmoved by those things that moved God. They were too busy to be bothered to do something that God wanted them to do. Any of that sound familiar today? I pray none of those attitudes are ever found in the people of God. I pray that we're not indifferent to the things of God. That we can take it or leave it. Couldn't care less. That we're unmoved by those things that move God. The lost. Ministry. That we're too busy to be bothered to do something that God wanted them to do. I understand time is precious, folks. Time is the most precious commodity in the 21st century that there ever is. People will take days off unpaid if they can get them. Because they, they want more time. So I know how valuable and precious every moment is. That's why the Bible says we need to walk circumspectly. Redeeming the time. We need to spend our time effectively. God wants something with that time. We need to be available. God wants to... In, he, if he wants to interrupt my precious schedule, and I like my schedule, I like consistency. Some of you guys do too. But if he needs to interrupt that for whatever reason, he's the king, folks. He has more authority than my schedule. Amen. So these individuals were found unworthy. So what was God's reaction? What was the king's reaction? He turned to others. He found someone else. Those who would come. Those who were available. Those who were hungry. He bid them to come. It's a constant danger in our churches, ladies and gentlemen, that we are inured to the presence of God. That we are so used to His presence. So used to hearing the Word of God all the time. That we become numb to it. It just becomes something that we do. And we can take it or leave it. Folks, we need to stay hungry. 
We need to stay thirsty for the things of God. We need to stay hungry for the Word of God. For the presence of God. Don't ever get to the place where you're satiated. Don't ever get to the place where you're all filled up. The full soul loatheth and honeycomb. But to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. Let's turn that around. Sometimes it seems like we care more about someone's salvation than they do. I think all of us have been there. They're a loved one. They're a spouse. They're a child. They're someone close to us, dear to us. Of course we want them saved. Of course we want them living for God. I've been in this spot before and I've sought counsel for it. And this is, this is what some wise elders told me. If you care more about someone's salvation than they do, walk away. Now, he didn't say, ignore them, don't pray for them. But folks, we have finite resources available to us. I only... You only have so much time available to you during the day. You only have so much attention span, so much energy in which you can invest in someone. Folks, there are people that they're a black hole. And you know what I mean by that. They will suck your energy. They will suck your emotions dry. Walk away. Pray for them. Love them. Make yourself available to them if they need help. They know where to find you when they're ready. I can't win everyone. You can't win everyone. Jesus didn't win everyone. He spent His time with 12 people. More specifically, 3 people. That's where He invested the bulk of His time. He ministered to the multitudes. But He mentored individuals. When you're seeking that person to work one-on-one with, make sure that they want that too. There are people and they have so much potential and we want to see them saved. There's nothing wrong with that. Everything right with that. But they can bring us to the place where we're I'll just say it like this. We're wasting precious resources that could be spent on someone who is hungry. Someone who is ready to come and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. If we would just be available to that. So prayerfully consider that. Prayerfully consider it. And if you, if you think you're in a situation like that, talk to God about it. I mean, even God told Samuel, what? Stop praying for Saul. I've rejected him. Even God gets fed up. So, just consider that. I wouldn't do it lightly. But there are times where we do need to do that.
The king commanded his servants to go into the streets after rejecting the original group of, of people that the invitations were sent to and gather all they could. The poor, the hungry, the dirty. If the original invitees were unwilling to be bothered to come, the king would find others who did want to come. Those who the world deemed unworthy is the ones Jesus called to Himself. The publicans, the sinners, the destitute, the outcast, the lepers. Those are the ones He reached out to. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11 through says this, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covet, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Amen. We were the poor, the hungry, the dirty, that God called out to after the first were rejected. God rejected the Jews. And He grafted in the Gentiles. Aren't you thankful for that? I am. Because I'm a Gentile. Physical Gentile. Spiritual Jew. We, can't, we cannot think of ourselves any higher than anyone else because we serve God and they don't, however. Because God rejected the first people. He can reject us too. I've heard it preached that God doesn't have time to start another denomination. I beg to differ. He can do whatever He wants to do. He can call a whole new group of people into this and work through them more powerfully than He ever could through us. I don't discount that, folks. He did it to, his, he did it to the children of Abraham. He could do it to us. Romans eleven nineteen through 22 says this, Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief they were broken off, and thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed lest He also spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fell severity, but toward thee goodness, if thou continue in His goodness, otherwise thou shalt also be cut off. We're not guaranteed this thing, folks. We can't just sit on a pew and ride it out to glory. We've got to strive every day for perfection. We've got to strive every day to win this race. It's not a guaranteed thing, folks. We haven't made it yet. I pray that we do. If we stay on the path, we will. If we stay in the church, we will. But we all know there are people who swore up and down that they'd be here. And they're not here today. I'll live for God no matter what. They're not living for God today. Things change, folks. I'm not saying they were liars. I, I, I truly think that people mean it when they say that in the moment. But circumstances change and things come up that they weren't expecting. 
In any case, they used it as a reason to leave off serving the Lord Jesus Christ. The same thing could happen to me. The same thing could happen to you. I pray it doesn't. I try to keep myself ready for it. I try to understand the the wiles of the enemy. To be not ignorant of his devices. I know how he's attacked me in the past, how he's attacked others in the past. I'm ready for those things. But I'm still human. I'm not guaranteed to make it until I make it, until I finish the finish the race, cross the finish line. Then I made it. Until then, I'm striving every day. The king ended up filling the hall. When the great unwashed came into the king's palace, they were ushered into the receiving hall. The king came in to greet them. When he did so, he offered them festive robes in exchange for their filthy rags, wedding garments. Put these on instead. You're a guest at my wedding. When he offers to exchange our filthy rags for robes of righteousness, do it. Take it. Your, ro- your filthy rags of righteousness will do nothing for you. They did nothing for you. They will do nothing for you. Only His righteousness can do anything for us. Only the royal family and their esteemed guests were usually in the dining hall of the palace. Today, though, commoners were sitting at the same table as the king and his family. All through the Gospels, we see Jesus dropping little tidbits, little hints, little slivers of truth, trying to get the Jews to realize that soon the Gentiles were going to be grafted in as well. Salvation was going to be for everyone now. And this is one of those little nuggets of truth that He was dropping to them. The Gentiles were going to receive salvation as well. Jesus was trying to bring that point across. Trying to get them ready for it. Acts chapter 10, they still weren't ready for it. He had to work specifically on Peter. And then through Peter, he had to work specifically on the other Jews. to Get them to understand. Folks, this is God. I didn't do anything. God did this. Are you going to blame Him? You Take it up with Him. I'm not taking it up with him. Salvation was going to be available to everyone. Equally. Jesus, the King of Kings, invites us to be his friends. He called each of us from a long ways off. And not only does he want us to be his friends... He wants us to be family. He wants to be our Heavenly Father. He wants us to be His son, His daughter. Going back to the disparity between Him and us. That blows me away, folks. That absolutely... Every time I stop to think about it, it just... I'm so thankful for Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful for what He's done in my life. I'm so thankful 
that He calls me son, that He calls me friend. I can call Him Father. Abba, Father. Amen. He wants all of these things because of His love for us. Because He loves us. That's it. Because He loves us. Not because we're anything special. Not because we're great or mighty. But because He's chosen to place His love here. Amen. Amidst the chatter, laughter, and merriment, the king scanned the crowd and spotted one guest not in the proper attire. Why was he not dressed in a wedding garment? Why was he dressed at this place inappropriately? Interestingly, none of the other guests seemed to know anything was amiss about this individual. As far as we can tell, he was dining and laughing along with everyone else. No one, if anyone noticed, no one said anything. None of the king's servants seemed to know anything was amiss about the individual. At least, nothing recorded in the story that says that they mentioned anything. But the king spotted him right away. There are people in our churches without proper attire, spiritually. Without the wedding garment that the king has issued. The Bible talks about the wheat and the tares being grown up together. Men will deceive you, folks. They'll put on a good show, a good front. Not all of them probably, but definitely some. But they will never deceive God. If it is you who seeks to deceive, you'll deceive some people, but you'll never deceive God. God knows the thoughts and the intents of our heart. He refused the free gift of the king, valuing his old clothes and his old identity of greater value than what the king offered. Amen. He valued his old identity. The king asked and gave him a second chance to respond. I gave him a chance to respond, but he was speechless. Some say that, uh, some commentators uh, say that that was because of the preponderance of evidence against him. What could he say? I have no garments on. That's very obvious. Others say that his silence was to be taken as a obstinate, rebellious silence. He refused to answer. He refused to justify himself to the presence of the king. But in any case, he had refused God's grace, opting instead for his own filthy righteousness. He delights to benefit from the king's love and compassion, the king's blessings, eat the food, enjoy the, the party, but would not submit himself to the will of the king. John 10.1 says this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. 
because of the man's rebellion and obstinance, he designates himself an intruder. Someone who doesn't belong there. He has disqualified himself because of his rebellion and his obstinate rejection of the king's commands. It's very simple, folks. You're coming into the presence of the king. You're coming into his home, his palace. You're coming into a formal wedding ceremony. Dress appropriately. How do we apply that spiritually? When you come into the presence of the King of Kings. I've mentioned this before. Yes, He's my Abba Father. He's also my King. And at least for me, this is just me, I don't ever want to get to the place where I feel like I'm too comfortable in His presence. And please don't misunderstand me when I say we should be comfortable in His presence. Okay, sinners, they should not be comfortable in His presence. They should feel conviction of sin. We, the children of God, should be comfortable in His presence. We should want to be in His presence. What I mean by comfortable is lazy. Uh, taking things for granted. Just kicking back and putting my feet up on the, the table. And uh, What's up, J.C.? I don't ever want to get to that place. Not ever. Yes, that's disrespectful to the king. I want to treat him like he's the king. I want to come into his presence softly, humbly. If he extends the rod, he bids me to stand. Fantastic. Because I am also his son. But, again, ancient times when the prince came into the presence of the king, he came in on his hands and knees. He came in bent, bowed. That's my dad. Yeah, he's the king. He's the king. So I don't ever want to get too comfortable in his presence. I would rather take the lower seat and have him bid me to come to the upper. If I can say it that way. Because he is the king of glory. Take the king's robes. Why? Isaiah 64, 6 says, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. Huh. You know, I bet Jesus knew that Scripture when He told this parable. I'll just bet. And we do all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Isaiah 61, 10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For He hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with jewels. You know, I bet Jesus knew that verse too when He told this parable. I'm just, I have a sneaking suspicion. When God makes us a new creature, we cannot continue to live like we once did. Romans 6, 1 and 2 says, What shall we then say? What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? If you have exchanged your filthy rags for robes of righteousness, if you have done that, if God has made you a new creature in Him, old things are passed away, 
all things are become new. You have new spiritual DNA. You were rewritten from the ground up to be a child of God. To fulfill certain offices and, and possess certain gifts and talents and abilities. Talk more about that, Lord willing, in the next service. But sin does not count itself among those things. You have been delivered from sin. You have been freed from it. Those robes, those filthy rags that we once wore, we don't wear anymore. We're not bound by the power of sin like we were. Because our very nature, it's like... Okay, let's imagine... Jesus just gave this to me. Let's imagine you got a Velcro strip, right? you got the plastic part, and then you got the fuzzy part, and they stick together, right? Well, imagine that that plastic part is you before Jesus, and that, the other one is sin. It sticks to you like crazy. You can't get it off. But when you're made a new creature, imagine you become a, a plane of glass. Now it can't do anything. It can't stick. There's nothing there to stick to. That's what I mean when he says he created you a new creature. You are entirely new. Sin doesn't have any authority in your life anymore. It can't do anything to you. It can't stick to you. Unless you bring that back. You can put that thing back on there. Through desire, through lust of the flesh, through uh, just believing the lies of the enemy. But there's nothing there for sin to stick to anymore. You're a new creature in Him. So don't believe when the enemy... I thought I was delivered, but I'm still, I'm still struggling with this. No, you're not struggling with it. The enemy is lying to you. He has delivered you from those things. Just accept that. Walk in that truth. Continue to walk in that truth. When the enemy comes saying anything contrary to that, tell him you're a liar. Get out of here. He can't help but lie. Believe the Word of God. Over the enemy. Amen. Alright, in conclusion. Accepting God's grace is a privilege. We are lost and hopeless without it. Without God's grace, we would still be wandering around, searching for meaning, living an empty life. For myself, amen to that. Jesus said, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent him draw me. John 6.44 God's grace reaches out to us no matter where we are or how far away we are from him. Grace has commonly been defined as unmerited favor. However, unmerited favor is only a small facet of God's grace. His grace is so much more. But for the sake of simplifying an eternity of information, we must know that grace is God's gift to humanity. He is ever patient with us because of His grace. He draws us and loves us even when we are running from Him. He is faithful even when we are not because His magnificent holiness will only perpetuate loving kindness to this frail humanity that He loves with all His heart. If we could understand the expansive holiness of God, perhaps we could understand all the facets of grace. We do know He loves us too much to leave us in our sin. Amen to that too. It is true God loves us no matter how sinful or lost we are. However, before we are born again, there is no real relationship with Him because we are not alive yet. We are still dead in our sin. When we find Him, we enter into the world of life. He draws us out of the darkness of sin into a place bright and shining with His love and grace. 
Grace is not a license to sin. Rather, it is a lifeboat rescuing us from sin and death, bringing us into life everlasting. Salvation is the transition from death to life. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ all had to be completed for our salvation to be complete. Jesus left none of these steps unfinished. He completed the mission He came to earth for. Because He was thorough and intentional to see it through to the end, we are now able to live according to His experience without actually going through the natural horror of it ourselves. We can incorporate it into our own lives. Paul wrote a letter to the church of Corinth reminding them that when they come to Christ, they leave all the old things they participated in behind and experience a new life. Grace enables us to live a new life. The word live is inherent to grace because it is ongoing. We can live above sin through His righteousness. We can resist temptation on a daily basis because of His grace. His grace says, go and sin no more. Just as He extended grace to the woman, others were going to stone because of her brazen life of sin. Grace encompasses compassion, long-suffering, understanding, forgiveness, and a plethora of other wonderful attributes of God. He has always had them, and now He extends them to us. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Amen. Let's all stand. Lord Jesus, we worship You. We are so thankful. We are so thankful for Your so great salvation that You called to us when we were a long ways off. You picked us up out of the the miry clay, cleaned us up, set us on our high place. You have given us exceeding great and precious promises by which we can experience You, Your, Your character, Your nature. Hallelujah, Jesus. I pray for the remainder of our service. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would receive all that You have for us today that we would walk in newness of life, that we, would not, that we wouldn't listen to the enemy, that we would listen to the Word of God, that we would listen to the voice of the Lord our God, which says we are free, we have been delivered, we have been set free, we are made new. Hallelujah, Jesus. Help us to live and to walk in that truth. Bless the remainder of your service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for your attention. Uh, during that service, we'll be back at a quarter.